Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. I'm Brad Wilson, and Loving the Christ Life is presented weekly by the Christ Life Fellowship. Check out our website, christ-life.org. We're in a great series of studies here from Warren Litzman. We're taking excerpts from some of his wonderful wonderful meetings around the world that he had. And the one we've been in is one that happened years ago in South Africa. It is powerful. We're going right into it now. Here's Warren. Now, dear friends, we're going to continue. As you can tell, we've lost our board here. I had an extra uh, platform put in here to handle it all, and now I don't need it. Nevertheless, we're carrying on. We also had a tr- attempt to move the screen here, and it fell apart. So there's not anything up here that's going to work right except the gospel. That does work right. Our themes for this conference is, conference is still Philippians 3 and 8. The excellency of knowledge. I have no intention of teaching you anything. My intention is to tell you what exists. You must find for yourself what Christianity is all about. In our world today, everybody has become spoon fed. They don't get it easy. They don't take it. We have very few people that are seeking God today. It is a search that people don't go on because you've got radio, television, books. So easy to find out what you want answers to. But this isn't the real search. Actually, what you want answers to are things that fit you, not necessarily things that fit God. So when we get answers to what we're looking for, we settle in that. If you get all the answers to the questions you have, you may not have found God at all, except on your level of understanding. I'm a believer that the Bible has much more truth in it than the eye and the mind can find. Even the translators, as limited as they were, translating God's Word brought to us a deeper understanding of the Scriptures than we give credit to today. The problem with that is we become very selfish people. I grew up in a, in a Baptist church and preached there for a while. Went to Baptist University. And in the con- course of it, I well remember the favorite statement, I am a Baptist and I'll always be a Baptist. That kind of put the curtains down on anything new, anything fresh. And all you Baptists that are here, bear with me. That's just an illustration There's no end of truth. There's no end of knowledge. 
in God's Word. To think that God, who is almighty, omnipotent, omnipotent, eternal, could say something out of his wisdom and knowledge, and we think within ourselves we could understand it. There are a lot of people who think they can understand what God says. But the longer I study the Word, the truth, the more I know that it opens up. And you see clearer. You see much clearer into the things of God than you've ever before. So it behooves you not to shut your mind. If you got answers to all your questions, would you be any better off? Maybe not spiritually, but you'd be better off in your self-interest. And that's the very thing that keeps the love affair from happening. Your self-interest. When you love yourself more than you love the Lord, then you have intervened in the major love affair which costs you in time. Whenever the Lord came to the conclusion that humanity must be put in Christ, that the day would come when He must put all humanity in Christ, that day was important. I believe it started on the day of Pentecost that he put the first believers in Christ in Acts 2. Sadly, those believers didn't know they were placed in Christ. They were just like you and I. They could have known because Jesus had said in his last message in John 14 and 20, that when that day comes that the Holy Spirit arrives, you'll know that I'm in you and you're in me. But the simple facts were they didn't know. Many of them never did know and didn't want to know. Peter was the leader of, of that group, essentially. And when Paul first approached Peter, first approached him, wasn't a continual, but when he first approached him, Peter said, I have no interest. I'm going to preach the law message. I'm going to preach circumcision. And Paul said, well, if that's what God's led you to do, do it. I sort of interpret that to say, Peter, if you're that dumb and you don't listen to me, okay. He did preach circumcision for the next several years, and there was no fellowship between Peter and Paul. But Peter did come around to some of these things as he writes in his epistle, things that are very important. And the most important thing he wrote was the other pillar that holds up the gospel. And that's in first, uh, maybe, it's, what is it, Second Peter 1 and 20 and 23, where he says the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. This gospel I bring to you hinges on two strong pillars. They are what holds up the gospel of Jesus Christ. We were chosen to be in Christ by virtue of a lamb that was slain. Both of these ideas are God ideas that were formed before man sinned, before man was created, before there was a world. 
These are the only two scriptures in your Bible that gives us the mind of God when he started the creation we call earth and the creation of a human being. If we don't lean on these two pillars, we'll never have the true gospel. If we don't believe what he gave to Paul and Peter in the thing that happened before creation, only two things are spoken of before then aside from the fall of Satan. Two things that have to do with you and I, the cross and the in Christ message. To think that Christianity could exist for 2,000 years and not never become the pillars of the gospel is astounding. To think that this was God's original intention and few there be who show any interest in it. Ironically, to come to this conclusion that we're in Christ by a slain lamb all planned before the world was created and ignore it is evidence of our need of having another in us to live our life. For God to get children likened unto himself with his own nature in them, it's very obvious that he must birth another life in us. And that's exactly what he's done. Now miraculously, when this birthing takes place, God allows that birthing to come out of you like God created you. The problem with humanity, however, is that we don't know how we were created. When we drew our first breath, which was probably a cry as a little baby, somebody else began to give us instructions. And through life we have become the creation of somebody else's idea to the extent that most humans have never become who they were created to be. Maybe you had a thought along the way in life that if such and such was a ha had a happened, I could have been this or that, or I could have gone here or there, or I would be a different person, but it never was possible for me to come to that. Have you ever had thoughts like that? I'm sure you have at one time or another. That's because there is within us this deep-seated factor of our creation. Now, when I talk about creation, I'm talking about a opposite to the birthing. You were created by God. Originally, Adam, our forefather, was created out of the dust of the earth, and he was sculptured by God to have a look as God had and had an understanding that God had. Not a knowledge, but an understanding of what it was God had taught him. So when you came into the world, you had the same likeness and, in, and uh, image. But somebody else, for all of us, somebody else led and guided us in a different direction. In spiritual things, at an early age, we begin to be guided by what somebody else believed. And the end result was that our creation lost its viewpoint. Whatever it was to do in the likeness and image of God got lost. 
And of course, the perpetual sin nature that was in us caused us to lose all form. One scripture bears this out, that we lost all form of who we were by our creation. Creation means that there is none of God in us. We were created. The birthing means that all of God is in us. Dogs are created, but they have no rebirthing, my knowledge. Animals are created. And in that creation, they usually lean to what is their creation. I've told you many times before about dogs and other animals. You can train a dog all you want to, but his natural creation is going to break out. His nature is going to break out on him sooner or later. We see that happening all the time in our world that some animal does some strange thing like we had a lady killed not long ago over in America when some dogs, a couple of dogs that were very good pets previous to that time took a dislike to her and attacked her and killed her. Oh, what happened? That dog leaned to his own nature. We tried to change him by laws but didn't do much good. Deep down inside, he still had the same old nature. A birthing is entirely different. You are birthed by somebody else to be that. While God may have shaped us out of the dirt of the ground, when he birthed us, he put a part of himself in us. That's what a Christian is. A Christian is one in whom Christ lives. That's not figurative. That's an actuality in God's Word. Paul would say plainly in different ways, but most profoundly he would say, Christ liveth in me. It's not that Christ is in Paul. He lives in Paul. Wouldn't it be foolish for Paul to claim his own life at that point? Wouldn't it be foolish if he tried to live his life and Jesus was trying to live his life? That's frustration. That's where a lot of Christians are. They're at that point where they are frustrated with life. How to do it? What, what puts it all together right? What is our answer? So the birthing is entirely different from creation. But what the birthing did, it finished our creation. Because without Christ in us, we could never be God's intention for our creation. Please understand that. Without Christ in you, you can never fulfill what God made you to be. And I'm simple enough to believe, since God made every one of us different, no two of us are alike, that from that point, every one of us were made to bring honor and glory to God in some way, and no two of us really alike. Now, you can get the three or four people alike to sing a song like a quartet or a trio, but those people are forced into that. That's not natural. What is natural is that each one of them are different. See? So life is made up between the stereotyping by other humans 
for you and you seeing yourself as you really are, a birth person by God, different than anybody else. I'm told that no two babies, even if they're twins, triplets, quadruplets, or whatever they are, I'm told that no two babies are alike. They may have certain features alike, but deep inside they are different because that's a God thing. And he intends that that be exercised in their life and that they promote that. But the problem is somebody else takes hold of us beforehand and we begin to be led and guided in the direction somebody points us. Now it is my understanding that when you were born again, for the first time you had a right to become who you were. God's creation. God's creation. Colossians 2 and 10 is it says, we are completed in Christ. See, until you know Christ is your life, you're an incompleted human being because God never intended that human beings exist without Christ being their life. That's why we have the miserable lives that people lived in the Old Testament and even in the days of Jesus of Nazareth because their life was not completed. Christ healed the sick. He raised the dead. He performed many miracles, but he never completed a life. And he couldn't bring that message at that time. There's no way that Jesus could stand in front of people and say, hey, I'm going to be on the inside of you one of these days. What would that have done to him? Well, it would have astounded him just like it does today. He's not standing before us, but he's telling us he wants to live in us. He does live in us as Christians. But that's why Jesus didn't go into the detail of what was a birthing. He mentioned you must be born again to Nicodemus, but he never went into any detail. Why was that? It wasn't God's time. It wasn't God's place. This was a plan that started before the world was created. And so it's not going to preemptively take place. It's not going to just start one day. God's going to do it. God's going to make it work. But God's not going to make the knowledge of it known until Paul has a revelation of it in the Arabian Desert in Galatians 1. So fix in your mind the difference between creation and the birthing. You've been created in the image and likeness of God, but you will never fulfill your creation without Christ in you, better still, without a knowledge that Christ is in you. We'll get to that a little later here. You see, every Christian has Christ in them. I'm not bringing you a message that if you do what I say, you'll get Christ in you. I don't have anything to do with that. We're going to see that in a point here. I don't have anything to do with it. All I'm to do is to tell you about it, to tell you that it exists, to confirm to you who want to know what it is God has done. Our lifetime has been made up of somebody soullessly trying to get us to God without Christ being our life. Now, I believe soulishly your whole walk with God has to do with bringing your soul mind under subjection to the Spirit of Christ that is your life. But you can't concentrate on that because instead of our mind being renewed, it is our will 
and our emotions that are most dealt with. The largest crowds that attend a Christian service are basically there because of an emotion. They tell me that. I say, why do you go to that place? Oh, I love the singing. I love the music. I love the orchestra. That's okay. I like that stuff too. But that's an emotion. You can live in that emotion a lifetime. But you'll never come to the knowledge of who you are in Christ. So my message is simply this. You were created by God to be something for His honor and glory, but that creation remains incomplete until you know Christ lives in you. And that comes by revelation. I want to talk to you about our fifth point. Point number five. This is a point that takes us into the revelation. This birthing, that Christ is birthed in you, really only comes about to you by a revelation from the Holy Spirit. Now you think when I mention the word revelation that I'm talking about some profound thing. Not really. I'm talking about the most ordinary thing God could have. If God put Christ in us and made it impossible for us to know it, that would hurt. If I thought God made it impossible for humanity to know that Christ lived in them, that would be awful. It isn't God that's kept that information from us. It's humanity. Basically, we got a, a name for it. It's religion. <clears throat> and my definition of religion is a believer trying to do something within himself to please God. Can't be done. That's religion. Anytime you do anything within yourself to please God, that's unacceptable. Why should God want you to please Him when He put Christ in you? Who has the audacity to think that I'm somebody within myself? I can do this, I can do that. They're fools. He put Christ in you so he could recognize Christ as your life. That's what a Christian is. So the only way you come to that knowledge is by revelation. Now here is this Apostle Paul, the Apostle of Grace. And he gets up from his prayer meeting in the Arabian Desert and he goes forth to tell people about this unusual thing that's happened where he's going to say to people around him, I'm not alive anymore. You see me wiggling and shaking, but I'm not alive anymore. Only Christ is alive in me, and he's using my life. He's using my body. He's using my mind. It's Christ alive in me. How many people are going to believe him? Why? I don't think they believed him at Jerusalem. I don't think they ever believed him at Jerusalem. I think the, the first Pentecostal church hated Paul so much that they had a hand in his death eventually because they tried to shut down 
meeting after meeting that he had. The reason he wrote letters was because he couldn't stay in a place very long. He left the young men who followed with him in all the places where he started ministry because he was so hated for this message. Not only that, they hated him because he had tried to kill a bunch of their loved ones before he got saved. So they had good reason, you know. But that's why God chose him, because God chose the meanest man to them, because that's where grace is to be understood and known. And that's why God did that, because there's not any of you sitting here that are so bad the grace of God won't make you equal to all children of God. That was his plan, his grace. So how is Paul going to get the message out? How is he going to tell people about this awesome thing that Christ lives in him? <clears throat> That's where the word revelation comes into being. Not John's revelation in the book of Revelation about the end time, but the revelation of Jesus Christ. I think the most powerful scripture in the Bible for us today is Romans 16.25. You read it lately? Romans 16.25. Look at it again. Now to him. That is of the power to establish you. Establish you. A-E-S. Establish you. Let's stop right there. I can't go through this verse hurriedly because it's the most powerful verse I know. He says, the God that's going to establish believers. Who establishes you? Me? No. Some pastor? Some prophet? Some miracle worker? No. You're established by God Himself. Why? You're His child. God doesn't like the children in the family correcting and taking charge of the other children. See, I learned that in a family. I never liked for one kid to punish the other. And I looked at him and I said, that's my job, leave it to me. I didn't like them correcting each other. Neither does God. God does not turn the responsibility of the establishing of His children over to somebody else. But the next line is what is so potent. Because the next line tells us that this is done according To my gospel. All right. Are you ready for it? If you don't want to believe it, that's between you and God, but I'm going to tell you the most solemn fact I could ever give you in this conference. And that is when you stand before God, He's going to ask you what you did with Paul's gospel. He's not going to say a word about Jesus of Nazareth. He's not going to say a word about Amos or Habakkuk or Isaiah or Jeremiah or 
He's going to tell you that I'm going to judge you according to Paul's gospel. That's later. But what is it saying to us right now? He's saying right now, if you want to be established in the gospel, you're going to have to listen to Paul's message. Now to him that is the power to establish you according to my gospel. What is his gospel? His gospel is the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. Ah, what's the mystery? Christ in you, the birthing. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's the mystery. What is the mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1, 26 and 27. What is the gospel? It's Christ in you. He didn't say it's Christ in you and faith for your healing. He didn't say it's Christ in you and faith for your business or your family or whatever. Why didn't he? Because if you know Christ is in you, you're in another world where those things are not what it is that pinpoints your need. I used to be much stronger on the subject than I am now. But when I first came into the Christ life, I would tell people everywhere I went that your need is Jesus. They said, well, I've been saved for years. No, your need is Jesus. You don't know the Christ that's in you. You don't know Him. You know about Jesus of Nazareth. We have very few songs written about Jesus in us. In our fellowship around the world, we have music-minded and poetically-minded people who write about the Christ life in music. That's good. Every move of God has its own music. We have, we have a lot of that. But every message, every message has its own deliverance in song and poetry. In all sorts of ways. You come to know about Jesus at every turn. Not a little here and there. Not two times a year when I come to Africa. But thank God some of you have been on videos and CDs and read books and stuck with it. Don't say you understand that at first glance. Don't say that works first time you pick it up. It doesn't. Don't say that's good. I believe that. What you believe doesn't matter. It's what you know. What you know. We're going to stop right here. We'll pick up next week right where we left off. This has been a recording from a live conference as it happened in South Africa with Warren Litzman years ago. And boy, you can hear how powerful these conferences are. Hey, thank you for being with us. And don't forget to check us out. Check out what the Christ Life Fellowship is all about. Christ-life.org and the holiday season is upon us, the Christmas season, and you'll want to get some great gifts. Well, 
Some of the best are right on our website. Some of the books and the audio teachings and video teachings of Warren Litzman. Christ-life.org. Check it out. Robbie Litzman always lets us go into the archives each week to find these wonderful lessons to bring to you. Robbie, thanks so much. Our thanks, too, to Valerie Hill, who does our Twitter account. Tammy Laycock, she does our weekly podcast uh, download reports. And, of course, this program is produced weekly by Teresa Ferraro from the Christ Life Fellowship. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ life.